Chapter 3 of The Pleasures of Ignorance This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen M. Lafitte The Pleasures of Ignorance by Robert Lind Chapter 3 The Betting Man if the panther wins the derby, he didn't, as most people apparently expect him to do. His victory will carry more weight among frequenters of racecourses as an argument for socialism than any that has yet been invented. For the panther is a government-bred horse, born and brought up in defiance of the laissez-faire principles of Mr. Harold Cox. He will therefore carry the colors of a great principle at Epsom as well as those of his present lessee. Who would have thought five years ago that the derby favorite of 1919 would start under so grave a responsibility? Not that racing men have much time to spare for thoughts about social problems, even when these are related to a horse. Theirs is a busy life. They enjoy little of the leisure that falls to the lot of statesmen and haberdashers. Their anxieties are a serial story continued from one edition of the day's paper to another, nor does the last edition of the evening paper make an end to their anxieties. It's not an epilogue to one day so much as a prologue to the next. The program of races for the following day suggests more problems than the peace conference itself could settle in a month. The racing man, having studied the names of the horses entered, goes out to buy some tobacco. As he takes his change from the tobacconist, he asks, Have you heard anything for tomorrow? The tobacconist says, I heard Green Cloak for the first race. The racing man nods. You didn't hear anything for the big race? He asks. No. Somebody was saying Holy Saint. I heard Oily Hair, says the racing man gravely. Good night. And he goes out. His brow becomes knitted with thought as he moves off along the pavement. He tells himself that Holy Saint certainly does offer difficulties. Holy Saint is a notoriously bad starter. If he could be trusted to get away, he would be one of the finest horses of his year in the long-distance racing. But he's continually being left at the post. The backing would be pure gambling. He could win if he liked, but would he like? On the whole... Oily Hare is a safer horse to back. He has already beaten Holy Saint in the Chiswick Cup and only lost the Scotch Plate to disaster by a neck. As the racing man allows his memory to dwell on the achievements of Oily Hare, his confidence rises. I see nothing to beat him, he says to himself. He has just decided to put a fiver on him when he meets an acquaintance who suggests a drink. As they drink, the talk turns on horses. What are you backing in the big race tomorrow? Have you heard anything? I heard Oily Hare. I think not. I'll tell you why. Tommy Fitzgibbon's youngest sister is at school with two sisters of Willie Soames, who's going to ride Peace on Earth tomorrow, and one of them told her that Willie had written to her to put every half penny she has on Peace on Earth. I'm sick and sore and tired of backing Peace on Earth. He's a cantankerous beast that seems to take a positive pleasure in losing races. Well, remember what I told you. 
on arriving home our sportsman goes to his shelves and takes down the latest annual volume of mccall's racing chronicle and pocket turf calendar and looks up peace on earth in the index he turns up the record of one race after another and finds that the horse has a better pass than he had remembered he cannot make up his mind what to do he looks over several weekly papers to see if any of them can throw light on his difficulties each of them names a different winner for the big race when he puts on his pajamas that night all he knows is that he has decided to decide nothing till the next day next day he once more reads the names of the horses entered for the various races and glances down the list of winners selected by the racing prophet in the morning paper having breakfast late he finds he has only about an hour to waste before catching a train for the races and he resolves to pay a call at the bird of paradise where a friend of his who has an unusual gift for picking up information is usually to be found about noon he learns from the landlord that his friend has been in and gone away but the landlord tells him that he hears pudding is a certainty have you any reason for thinking so well there was a man in here who has a son a policeman close by jobson stables and he tells me that everybody in the neighborhood has been backing pudding down to the last spoon that looks as if the word has been passed around that it was going to win the racing man passes out and looks in at the pink elephant to see if his friend is there he is seated at a little table in an upstairs parlor with four others all drinking whiskey and exchanging tips they belong to the most credulous race of men alive they are all believers in what is called information and information is simply the bettings man's name for gossip the friend is speaking in a low but excited voice to his companions who crouch over towards him in order to catch information not meant for the rest of the room he tells how he had just been in to buy a paper at his newsagents and how his newsagent had been calling on his solicitor that morning and the solicitor told him that the caller who had just left as he came in was gordon the owner of cut and run and gordon said that cut and run was the biggest thing that had ever come into his hands the buzz buzz of talk and the smoke-filled room and the clatter of passing carts makes it difficult to hear him but the others lean over the table with red intent faces like men among whom an apostle has come they do not stay long over their drinks as they have not much time for social pleasures they swallow their whiskey with a quick gesture look at their watches stand up hurriedly and part with handshakes then comes the drive to the railway station where race cards are being sold the racing man buys a card and several papers he looks down the list of the horses again in the train and tries to make up his mind whether to take the tobacconist's tip and bat green cloak for the first race he believes greatly in breeding and by far the best bred horse in the race is liberal who has three derby winners in his pedigree then there is red rose who created a sensation a month ago by winning two races in a day he decides to do nothing till he sees the horses themselves he pays thirty shillings at the turnstile of the race course and is admitted to the grandstand already one or two bookmakers are shouting from the stands and some of them have chalked up on the blackboards the odds they are willing to give in the big race he looks at the board and sees that he can get twenties against cut and run a five pound note might bring him a hundred pounds on the other hand if Ole Hare was going to win, he wouldn't like to miss it. The bookmakers are offering fives against it. Holy Sane is hot favorite at two to one. 
that alone makes him impatient of it for he dislikes backing favorites he prefers the big risk with great scoops if he wins however he will make up his mind later meanwhile he will go to the paddock and have a look at the horses for the first race half a dozen horses are already out and men with numbers on their arms are walking them around and around in a ring he consults his card and sees that number seven is bright and beauty and number two a slender gloss black beast with a white star in his forehead green cloak liberal has not appeared the numbers for the starters with the names of the jockeys are now being hoisted he makes a pencil mark opposite the name of each starter on his racing card and jots down the name of the jockey wrath he sees is riding green cloak that is in his favor when he gets back to the betting ring the bookmakers are shouting hoarsely against each other liberal is a very hot favorite they are shouting i'll take two to one i'll take two to one five to one bar one a hundred to eight green cloak he feels almost sure liberal will win but green cloak he wishes he had asked the tobacconist where he got his information from anyhow half a sovereign doesn't matter much he goes up to a bookmaker and says ten shillings green cloak the bookmaker turns to his clerk and says six pound five to ten shillings green cloak gives a red white and blue card with his name and a number on it the other takes the card writes on the back of it the name of the horse and the amount of the bet and makes for the stand to see the race the horses have now come out and are off one after another to the starting post green cloak would be hard to miss because of his jockey's colors old gold scarlet sleeves and green and black quartered cap the bell has hardly rung to announce that the race has begun when men in the crowd begin to dogmatize about the result one man keeps saying green cloak wins this race green cloak wins this race another says liberal leads another says no that's jumping frog to the unaccustomed eye the horses seem as close to each other as a swarm of bees suddenly however a bay horse springs forward and seems to put a length between itself and the others at every stride the people in the stand shout liberal liberal it wins by about ten lengths green cloak is second but a bad second the crowd begins to pour down the stands again those who have won wait near the bookmakers till the winner has been to the unsaddling enclosure and the announcement all right is made then the bookmakers begin the payout and the crowd moves off to the paddock again to see the horses for the next race friends stop each other and exchange information in low voices others do their best to listen in the hope of overhearing information i hear tomst johnny says lay your last penny on glasgow ped i'm going to back submarine and the parade of horses the hoisting of the names of the starters and jockeys the laying of the bets and the climbing of the grandstand are all gone through over and over again the betting man has no time even for a drink to the casual onlooker a day's horse racing has the appearance of a day's holiday but the racing man knows better he is collecting information coming to decisions wandering among the bookies in hope of getting a good price climbing into the grandstand and descending from it studying the points of the horses all the time with as little chance of leisure as though he were a stockbroker during a financial crisis or a sailor on a sinking ship perhaps in the train on the way home from the races he may relax a little 
Certainly, if he has backed Cut and Run, he will. For Cut and Run won at ten to one, and his pocket is full of five-pound notes. He feels quite jocular now that the strain is over. He makes puns on the names of the defeated horses. Lie low, lay low, all right, he announces to the compartment, indifferent to the scrowls of the man in the corner who had backed it. Hopscotch didn't hop quite fast enough. Were he tipsy, he cannot jest more fluently. His jokes are small, but be not too severe on him. The man has had a hard day. Wait but an hour, and care will descend on him again. He will not have sat down to dinner in his hotel for three minutes until someone will be saying to him, Have you heard anything for the cup tomorrow? There is no six hours day for the betting man. He is the drudge of chance for every waking hour. He is enviable only for one thing. He knows what to talk about to barbers. End of chapter 3 Recording by Stephen M. Lafitte